Thank you to the worship team and thank you to Reese as we come to the word. Uh, just before we dig into the word, um, those of you who get the word for today, uh, they're sitting on the table by the offering bucket on the way out. If you get the word for today, usually please feel free uh, to take a copy. Uh, on Tuesday evening, we're having our midweek prayer meeting uh, in here. Uh, it was great to see so many people come last week. We're coming again this Tuesday night to hear the word from young Glenn McCauley here um, and also to pray uh, as well. So you're welcome to come along on Tuesday evening at the end of our service uh, this morning. If you throw your communion cups in the rubbish bin, the offering bucket is there and if you can exit that way, Matthew will come and dismiss you row by row, just like it was at school, and, uh, and then you can leave. But thank you for being here. We're on our second part of Isaiah. Uh, last week, we looked at the one who forgives. Uh, this week, we're looking at the one who is called. And um, something we always must understand uh, right from the outset, right off the bat here this morning, that the message is always more important than the messenger. The message is always more important than the messenger. It's the same message all the way through uh, the Bible. There are many, many different messengers. Isaiah is one of those. And last week we looked at a, a brief introduction and then looked at God being the one who forgives and what he does when he comes to forgive us. This morning we're looking at Isaiah as the one who is called. We're going to get straight into the scripture and read chapter 6 that simply says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin Purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. This is Isaiah's calling uh, to be a preacher, to be the prophet, the messenger that we spoke about last Sunday. This is the situation that happened to him. And in this particular story, Isaiah receives three things. He receives a vision of God. 
He receives a vision of himself and he receives a vision of ministry. So he begins with a vision of what God is like and, and he shares that in the first few verses. Because he sees what God is like, he, he then begins to see a vision of himself. Uh, and then finally he begins to see a vision of ministry of what God has called him to do. If there's one point this morning that really summarizes everything I'm going to say, it's this, a vision of God must come before a call from God. A vision of God must come before a call from God. This is Isaiah's predicament here. He's in this place. Um, he, he sees a vision of God uh, and he's cleansed and then he's given a specific commission uh, to proclaim the word of the Lord to a spiritually blind, deaf and insensitive people. And simply this, the result was this, an earnest confession, glorious healing and powerful commissioning. You see, Isaiah doesn't actually describe what God looks like in his vision. He simply describes God's throne. He, he sees God's robe and he sees God's angel, but he does not dare describe God himself. But he does say some things that help us when we come to understand this vision of God. Because often we skip this part and move to the part of the calling of God or what is it that God wants me to do. But from reading this story, it's just reconfirmed to me that this vision of God must come before the call of God as it does with Isaiah. You see, Isaiah notices some things he sees, as I've said, that God is, is exalted with his throne, his robe, his attendance. He's, he's high in his own nature, exalted simply by his own supremacy. Often when we come to these people, often ask lots of questions about the seraphim and all of the things that go on there that would take me a whole week to try and explain all of this stuff to you there. We don't have that time this morning, so I'll sum up what the seraphim were there for. They were simply there to glorify God. They were simply there to worship God and glorify him. You see, the fire, fire is the chief symbol of the holiness of God and smoke is a symbol of the presence of God. But you see, the most frequently used attribute of God found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament is this, is the holiness, the simply set apart, the set above absolutely everything, everything that is created, uh, people, everything and everyone. And so even the seraphim themselves cover their faces with their wings in awe and wonderment as they simply cry out this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. You see, he simply tells us this for a reason. When he cries out, holy, 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 if you read this in the Hebrew, what happens is this, is the Hebrew language is very different from the English language. And so for, for people in the Hebrew, what they did is they repeated it so people understood the importance of it. So where we might say, holy, holier, uh, holiest in the English, the Hebrew doesn't do that. They just simply repeat the word. Now, when they repeated the word twice, they wanted people to understand the importance of that word. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The only time in the Hebrew Bible that this actually moves to something being repeated three times is this passage here. Because they, Isaiah wants the readers to understand how set apart how holy, how 
exalted and high above everything is God. So when he simply says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, it's simply the truth about God himself. And this is the vision that Isaiah is having here, picturing this before he goes out and does what God has called him to do. He's in the presence of God, having this vision of God. And holiness is the whole truth about God himself. Described maybe this way, that God is in a class by himself. He has infinite perfections, infinite greatness, and infinite worth. How do you measure God? It's impossible. He's immeasurable. We talk about God's love and he's being immeasurable. Isn't God himself is immeasurable? How big is God? How vast is God? And, and another one, God's holiness is a part of everything he is and does. God's power is a holy power. God's love is a holy love. God's wisdom is a holy wisdom. Holiness is not an aspect of God's personality. It is one characteristic of his entire being. You might turn around to somebody and say that they are a particular way. You might look at me this morning and think, he's handsome, he's funny. You might not think that, but you might think something else. That's purely an attribute of, of, of who I am, a character person, a character trait. With God, it's different. You see, when we say God is holy, his whole being is holy. You could say God is holy, holy is God. That's really the description there. It's almost indescribable to try and explain the holiness of God. How vast he is, how marvelous he is, how wonderful he is. And Isaiah has a vision, a picture of this here. You see, often we don't need a revelation of something new, but a realization of something that's already there. Isaiah knew who God was. He knew what God had done. He, he knew that the, 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 the people were special to God. Isaiah knew all of this. And he's here in the presence of God, realizing how holy, how set apart is the God that's about to lay a calling upon his life. But the problem is this. In view of God's holiness, Isaiah instantly realizes his own sinfulness and uncleanness. His initial reaction to this vision of God is not one of encouragement, but despair. He's simply immediately convicted of his own sinfulness in the presence of God, viewing who God really is. So Isaiah simply finds himself totally excluded. His consequence, he simply says this, he uses the word, I am undone. I am silent. I have nothing to say. That's what the word undone means there. I have nothing to say. I'm silent. And the cause of it is this. Isaiah says, I have unclean lips. So this vision or experience of the throne of God did not immediately make Isaiah feel good. The more clearly he saw the Lord, the more clearly he saw how bad his state was. Isaiah's deep sense of depravity is consistent with the experience of other godly men in the Bible as they face God. Job, Daniel, Peter, John, each had similar experience. I am undone, it's not a bad place to be. Someone once said, God will never do anything with us until he has first of all undone us. Spurgeon said, whenever God means to make a man great, he always breaks him in pieces first. If we finished here and now, this would be the most miserable sermon you've ever heard, without hope. But it's not finished here. Isaiah, much like we, would be finished here as a man 
But God is not finished here with Isaiah. He's just beginning. And what I love about this story is his first point as it moves. God always ministers to us at our point of need. Isaiah realizes the state that he's in. God doesn't set him a target and say, come back to me when you've sorted that out. But return to me when you've dealt with the unclean lips. God meets him and ministers to him at exactly his point of need. And nothing has changed there for you or for me this morning. God doesn't set us targets. He doesn't tell us, if you do this, you can come back to me. This morning, God ministers to me and you exactly at our point of need. However you came into church this morning, that is exactly the point of need God will meet you at today. And it tells us what happens. Coal was taken and was touched to Isaiah's lips. You see, the problem is this. And this is a, the, the wonderful thing about this. See, the throne is always for God, but the altar is always for us. The throne is always for God. We worship at the throne, but the altar is always the place of sacrifice and cleansing. It's the access to the throne of God. Romans 3 verse 25 tells us this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And they use that word atonement there. And it simply means this, to bring together, to bring together, to bring God and man together. In this story, God and Isaiah are brought together. Thankfully today, we have been brought together with Christ through the shedding of his blood. But you see, the immediate effect of atonement is reconciliation, is a coming together. And we see that here in this story, because we see at the start of the story, Isaiah first saw the Lord from afar. Now he is close enough to hear him. Isaiah, silenced by his sin, now free to speak. Isaiah was shut out by God, now he's brought in by God. To give you a New Testament context of this, Ephesians 2 verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is the most amazing journey any person can go on in life. When you were once far away, you were brought near by the blood of Christ. That coming together, that atonement, that reconciliation is there that we see. In an instant, Isaiah's sin is forgiven and he is joined to God. But we carry on with the story here because we see that being joined to God means joining a missionary society. You see, Isaiah has been brought in to be sent out. That actually there's a function, a mission, a purpose to God doing the work in him that he's been brought in to be sent out. You see, there are no great men and women of God, just men and women of a great God. And when I read the story of Isaiah here, I understand that quote more and more because Isaiah comes, he has a vision of God, he realises how broken he is uh, before God because of God's holiness and his sin. God ministers to him at his point of need, but he doesn't leave him there. He then tells him, Isaiah, now we've got this sorted and we're reconciled together. I've got something for you to do. It says, you're becoming part of my, my, my missionary uh, circle. You're becoming part of my missionary society to go and tell people about me. And that's what God does here with Isaiah. But uh, Isaiah's got to be broken first. There's a danger sometimes. 
that we approach God. Oh God, my talent. Oh God, that people would be astounded by my preaching, by my eloquent words, by the, the, the incredible things I might say. Oh God, I offer all of this up to you. He says, and actually God's not looking for any of that. He's not necessarily looking for how well we preach or how well we play or how well we present ourselves in front of others or how well we do all the other stuff we do. God is simply looking for us to be available because all Isaiah did after having a vision of God was simply to make himself available because God had forgiven him and cleansed him of his sin. We don't turn around and say, well, I'm doing God a favor. Here you go, God. I could go and do something else, God, but, but, but God, I'm going to give myself over to you. And, and God's not looking for people like that. He's not looking for people. In, he's looking for people who know what it is to have a vision of God, to be touched by God's cleansing and forgiveness, and then simply to be offered up to God to say, as we see in the next passage, because it must always, always be about the glory of God must always be about lifting the name of Jesus and understanding and grasp all this glory and holiness of God. You see, this, this vision of God is always needed before the call of God. After being touched by God, Isaiah is presented with a call because God asks a question. He says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The only response Isaiah can have is this, after having this vision of God, after having his life touched by God, is simply to say these five words, here am I, send me. God wants to reach the world and he wants to reach it through willing people. It isn't that God doesn't know who these people are. It's that God is waiting, not for those who feel they're talented or able or gifted, they're simply waiting for those, God is waiting for those with ready hearts to reveal themselves. How strange it is that this God, majesty, sovereignty and power, asked for volunteers. He could simply easily create robots to do his work, command angels to carry out his will. But God wants willing, surrendered servants. Have you been waiting for God to force you to serve him? He'll never do it. He's always looking for willing servants. He's always looking for volunteers. Isaiah emphatically answers God's call. He did not hesitate. He simply wanted to be the answer to God's question. Oh, when I read that, and it wasn't me that wrote it, but I could claim it. I want to be the answer to God's question. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I want to be the answer to that question. That's what I get from the story of Isaiah here this morning. What created this kind of heart in Isaiah? He had a heart that had been in the presence of God. He had a heart that knew his own sinfulness. He had a heart that knew the need among the people, the need for God's word. He had a heart that had been touched by God's cleansing fire. And he had a heart that heard God's heart to reach the nations. And it's simply this, Isaiah was just submitted to God. Everything that happened is just simply, here I am, send me. He didn't say, here I am, I will go. Because Isaiah knew that he would only go if God had called him, God had sent him, because there was no way that he could survive otherwise. For the mission and the message Isaiah was given, and it wasn't a very popular one, imagine being given this, that the people would reject his message. The people would remain indifferent 
to the prophetic call for repentance. His preaching would in fact turn hearts away from God rather than towards God. It's not, it's not this amazing calling sometimes we feel that God lays upon people's lives. Imagine being a preacher and being told nobody will listen to you. I know the feeling sometimes, but not here, but... Imagine the call to say, well, if you preach, you're going to offend everybody. Your message is going to be awkward. And, and that's the kind of calling that God gave Isaiah. Remember somebody saying this to me when I started out in ministry. Matt, if you want to make people happy, don't become a pastor. Go and sell ice cream. And I thought, that's very true, isn't it? He says, if you want to make people happy, don't become a pastor. Go and sell ice cream. There are often times I've thought about getting my own wee yellow van with Mr. Whippy on the back <laughs> and driving it. But we hold on to what God calls us to do because we're not in it to make people happy. We're in it to see the purpose of God at work in each and every person's life. That as we have a vision of God, we would receive the calling from God to go and tell the people the message of God. That that's what it has to be. It can't be substituting or moving that first bit of the vision of God. We cannot bypass that because the calling and the message won't make any sense unless we have the first two. Our vision of God, a calling from God to tell people the message of God. And so Isaiah here begins to preach faithfully the unpopular message of judgment. You know, we would read Isaiah today and look back and think, the great man of God. If you read the whole book and people started to do it in the devotions, Isaiah was despised among the Jews. He wasn't very popular. He was considered a fool and a madman. They didn't regard him as we do now. They, they shot out their tongues and they called him strange and weird and all the other things. They called him a fool. And each of the four Gospels quotes verses 9 and 10 that we read because the world hated Jesus' message keep on hearing but do not understand keep on seeing but do not perceive make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed people will always reject the message the gospel is good news but it's offensive, awkward, and, and unpopular at times. But because God had sent him, God promises him that he faithfully preaches the word in the face of opposition. His words will clear the ground for a holy seed to grow. Even though Isaiah's ministry was difficult, it was not without hope because God never calls us to do something that is without hope for the people that we go and share the message with. God gave him a long-range perspective so he would not feel like he was accomplishing nothing. You know, we preach the word in season and out of season. We proclaim the word whether people respond or not. The holy seed will be those who do respond and they will flourish under God's hand. Because Isaiah teaches us one thing this morning. The test of ministry is not success, or even fruit, but faithfulness. And that's the message that Isaiah teaches us all the way through. Not the tick box of what we've done, not the tick box of numbers, not the tick box of responses, but simply faithful to do what God called you to do in the beginning, and you keep going, stickability, perseverance, 
stickability and perseverance. The call of God is always marked by a faithful life. Go and tell is still God's command to his people. It's what God spoke to Isaiah at this point when he had seen this vision of God and received the call from God to go and proclaim the message of God, to go and tell. He is waiting for our replies today. We have that message of Christ that the world needs to hear. In the song that the worship team are going to lead us with in finishing, there's a tremendous line in it that talks about singing the song of the redeemed, that we are the redeemed and we have a song to sing, but we don't necessarily sing it to each other because we know the song. The song we sing of being redeemed is to the people out there, to our family, to our friends, to our workplaces, our schools, our colleges, our universities. That's the mission that we have all been called to do. We have been called to be faithful in doing this. And Isaiah teaches that this morning. So we come to pray this morning. Hold on to that thought that a vision of God is needed before the call of God. If you don't see a picture of God's holiness, you will never stick with what God has called you to do. Don't see a picture of God's separation and his infinite mercy and perfection. He says that's what keeps us going as being the called of God, sharing the message of God with people. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. God, our prayer this morning, Lord, is you would give us a vision of you, Lord. Father, don't give us a vision of what our lives are like in you, Lord, or what our destinies are, Lord, what our identity is, Lord, what our purpose is, Lord. God, give us a vision of you, a vision of holiness, a vision of perfection, of wonder, a vision of the whole earth being filled with your glory. God, that we could never stand or sit in your presence except for your son Jesus Christ who gives us the access who gives us that atonement and the step to that is reconciliation and we've been reconciled with you this morning and for that we say thank you thank you for sending your son Jesus thank you that we have a song to sing this morning and that song is the song of the redeemed have been bought back with a price by your son and we say thank you for that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.